This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. This is uh, Duncan Robinson and welcome to the Amazing People Who Aren't Us podcast. Today's story is a really powerful one and a really tragic one that comes out of Australia's history. Well, there's simply no way of underestimating the fire threat Victoria is facing over the next 24 hours or so. During Saturday, a gale force north wind will combine with extreme heat and that's not a good combination in terms of fire potential. And fire authorities are warning the public to prepare for the worst. Sadly, what happened was the potential became a reality. In the last 24 hours, and many good people now lie dead. I've got nothing. It's all gone. We're not the only ones. This is a conversation Sam and I had with John Graham. He's got a book out called Hell on the Doorstep, Hope Beyond Black Friday. Uh, He co-authored that with his wife, Jan. Um, He was present in Victoria during this season, uh, and it's it's a really kind of fascinating insight into what transpired and the goodness of God and how a community banded together. Amazing people that aren't us. When John Graham and his wife asked, what can we do to help after the Black Saturday bushfires, which took 173 lives in 24 hours, they had no idea that question would lead them through three years of intense relief work, long after the fire and smoke had eased. And today, we're joined by uh, John to talk about his and Jan's journey. Welcome, John. Great to have you joining us on Hope Breakfast. Uh, Thanks, guys. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. Mate, where were you when Black Saturday happened? Well, uh, Jan, my wife and I were actually at a leadership camp um, just in a place called Plenty uh, amongst the hills. So we were only kilometres away from where the fires started in northeastern Victoria. I mean, that moment, you're sitting there, you know, obviously you can see the thick black smoke, you know, pouring down the mountains. And I mean, did you have any indication early on in those moments where you think to yourself, man, this is serious, like this is a big deal, what's about, what's transpiring? Well, actually, um, because of the the week leading up to Black Saturday with the intense heat and the windy extreme conditions on the day, we had no idea because we're actually inside a campsite and we were doing leadership training. We're on our lunch break, to be honest with you. Mm. And uh, the, the camp owner came into the dining area and told everyone, put your knives and forks down and if everyone could evacuate, there's a fire coming. He was very, very calm and no one really took him seriously, if I can say that. And then suddenly he said, do it now. And that's when we realised this guy's fair income. So it's only as we left the building, we saw the plumes of smoke way off in the distance and we thought, gee, that doesn't look good. Not mm. not understanding this was going to be the worst fire in Australia's history coming our way. It is the 10th anniversary of those fires now and it seems to me that you can remember that moment uh, very, very vividly. Uh, what are some other no. things that stand out in your mind from that day? Well, on that day, as, as we vacated the campsite and... Uh, gathered up our gear and headed back down the hill and back into Whittlesey Township, um, we, we actually drove past a friend's farm and thought we'll pop in and see them, make sure they're okay, not knowing that would change the course of our lives from that point on. So the things that stand out in our mind was um, just the way people left the campsite slowly, the way that we called into a friend's place on the way back towards our house, and then from that moment, the other things that stood out was 
their son was trapped in a house in King Lake and phoning them at the farm, mm. and then suddenly his phone went dead. And I remember looking at the parents thinking, we've just lost our son. And that wasn't the case, but we weren't to know that at that time. And then, then the other things that stand out in my mind, even 10 years ago, is my mate uh, being an ex-MFB officer, Melbourne Fire Brigade officer, just grabbed his, his four-wheel drive and his, his water tank and hooked up and off he went and we lost him for 24 hours. We lost all contact with him, not knowing if we'd lost him and his son. Um, watching, I stayed with the family, the wife and the, and the kids and not understanding what the heck was going on and just the magnitude. And then the other, the, the most horrific thing that stuck in my head all this time is uh, probably five k's away, five kilometres away, there's a hill, a range of hills, and um, we saw the smoke coming and coming, and next thing the flames came over the hills like a wave, like sitting on a beach watching a wave. Mm. And these these were gum trees five kilometres away, and I'm not exaggerating, the flames were probably 50 to 60 feet way above the height of the tallest gum tree. And each gum tree was just going up like a, like a cigarette mat, like a match, just igniting, mm. self-combusting. And, and I just thought, today's my last day on this planet. Um, I honestly thought, that's it, it's over, we're done. And it was only that the wind changed and blew it across towards King Lake that we're still here today talking about it. I, I think, um, you know, in a moment like that, you've you got a, a, a catastrophe unfolding around mm. you and everyone's kind of switches into crisis mode and there's preservation and, you know, you're really thinking moment to moment. But... Um, you asked the question that I think a lot of people ask during a crisis or a catastrophe. What can we do to help? Like, how do we get involved? What What can we do? And that, for you, kind of unfolded a really significant event that that lasted a number of years. Absolutely. And, and that's the thing that no one had any idea of the magnitude of what was unfolding. No one knew it was a combination of massive fires that, that bunched together and wiped out a third of Victorian bushland overnight. No one had any idea that 173 lives were lost or that over 2,000 homes were destroyed. Mm. No one had any idea that it was going to create a moon crater across the face of Victorian landscape that would just create just such devastation. So as you say, um, it's only as the days unfolded that that so many people, the, the overwhelming response of generosity and goodwill right across not only our state, our nation, but across the world, they raised over $400 million. Like, people just responded straight away with, how can we help? What can we do? You know, how do you help people that have lost everything? All they've got is the clothes on their back and their, their car with singe marks. Hmm. What do, like, money, money's no good to them at that point in time and, and, and other things. So it's, it's all about raising hope. It's all about coming alongside people to say, hey, we care. We don't have any idea, you know, the magnitude of what you're going through, but we want to journey with you where you allow us to. Let's talk about your relief work uh, because you spent years after this. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about what relief work that you were doing, uh, both immediately on the ground there but also long term? Sure. So uh, the the fire obviously happened on a Saturday, Saturday afternoon, Black Saturday, and on the Monday, um, my wife joined a queue of thousands, literally thousands of people in our local shire called Millenbeck Shire. And we're, we're queuing up at a relief, like a mobile relief centre 
just saying, you know, I'm so-and-so, I live in this area, how can we help? And, and my wife mentioned to the council officer that was uh, stationed there, when she got through the front of the queue, uh, she said, look, I'm, I'm so-and-so, I live locally and, and I'm part of a, a, a large church. And straight away the, the officer said, uh, which church, where's it located? And, and um, when she said, how can, how can you help? The guy said to her, can you be an overflow for here? Because we're absolutely swarmed and overloaded. It's becoming a bottleneck of, of people donating food and clothing and whatever, you know. And so she, she my wife didn't have the, the answer on the spot. She couldn't answer that. So went back and had a meeting with the pastoral team at Diamond Valley Baptist. And, and you know, within the hour, uh, a call came back saying, yes, we're happy to help. And suddenly all the trucks, trailers and, and entourage was then redirected to our site at the church. And, and literally within um, a matter of hours, it was just swarming with people and also with news cameras. Channel 10, 9 and I think even 7 turned up, Herald mm. Sun turned up. And it was just all the media because what else was happening and we weren't prepared for is not only the community response, but we, we had intermingled amongst that crowd or sea of faces um, survivors because they had nowhere to go. Mm. And, and they were literally turning up and, and you wouldn't realise you're chatting to someone and they're helping one pack boxes and stack things and set up a temporary relief centre in, in a church hall and you're standing side by side, shoulder to shoulder with a family that's just literally fled for their life. And it was the most un real experience that um, what do you do? <laughs> what do you do at that moment? This is two days after the event. You know, this is that was the beginning of what was starting to unfold. So we set up a, a relief centre at the church. They had 20-foot shipping containers turning up and being delivered to store stuff. Um, and then, then we, we had so many volunteers sorting through and you know, putting out, you know, bottled water and babies' nappies and, and just clothing and, and just practical things. We had to set up a, a temporary um, food bank. Uh, there was another facility just a few kilometres away that was offered to us rent-free. So we had um, builders go out there and start setting up shelving, like a, like a little mini supermarket so they could get all the food for free. Yeah. Um, then we had another outlet, another, another shop front a few kilometres away that was set up as a um, mobile... Uh, clothing outlet where people could go and get all their clothing. Um, yeah, there was all that sort of stuff. And, and so we had natural uh, progression of what was being delivered and donated. It couldn't all be stored in one area at one time. There was just such an overwhelming response. So I was coordinating volunteers. I was coordinating um, relief centres locally in that community and working very, very closely with government and with council officers. And very soon they, they realised, hey, we can trust these guys. It's, it's, it's an overwhelming response, greater than their capacity with staffing. So they eventually asked through the council, they gave me keys to six other warehouse facilities like mm. a Fort Knox and other facilities. <laughs> it, was, it was something we've never experienced before. So I was overseeing that as well. I think of those moments, right, as that starts to unfold and you get people getting, you know, fresh clothing and food and so they can start that process of piecing their lives back together. But there's also been this um, incredible kind of emotional trauma and devastation that takes place in their lives, which means yeah. that you've you, you've kind of got to, on some level, help them cope with uh, like a mental resilience to yes. come back from an event like this, you know, there's a lot of counselling that you must have had to do on top of not just providing food and clothing for them. 
Well, and that that's part of the bigger picture. I mean, we, my wife and I did this for three years. We we didn't sign up for this. We didn't know it was going to happen. No one's ever prepared for anything of this magnitude. Mm. And so the reality, as you, you um, highlighted, is that every day you're dealing with people that are traumatised. You, you're coming with different levels of trauma. Some people lost their, their houses. Some people lost their pets. Some people lost... Uh, everything, including some family members. So you've got different levels of trauma and people are then coming to you asking for food or clothing or just wanting to sit in this numb state and then talk about what they saw and what they experienced. And that can then traumatise some of your volunteers because we're not prepared for this. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying what you hit on, that you need a debriefing session, you need counsellors, you need psychologists, you need professionals there on, on standby to work with these people and walk with these people. So we, we hit the ground running and, and it was just a full-on um, combat aftermath of, of what took place through Black Saturday. Uh, you have written a book about your experience. It's called Hell on mm. the Doorstep, Hope Beyond Black Saturday. You wrote it with your wife, Jan. Um, and, and in the foreword of the book, you actually say that you uh, and Jan, uh, because you weren't survivors, you didn't feel qualified to write about the journey of other survivors. No, not um, at all. Tell us about the emotional process it must have been to end up writing this book with that in mind. Sure. So um, we, Jan and I attend Unihill Church in Bandura, and the senior pastor then, his wife, is a is accredited author and publisher. And so she sat down with my wife, Jan, and, and said to her over coffee, tell me what happened, uh, basically, with, with Black Saturday and what, what involvement you guys had. And as Jan described some of the detail, um, Meredith Resky, who's the author of the book, said, you guys should write a book. And Jan laughed, said, we're not authors, we can't do that. And she said, no, but I am. So we, we fed the detail, the chronological detail to Meredith, and she incredibly put this book together and then included the the, the social um, aspect of not just Black Saturday but beyond Black Saturday, the fact that hell's on our doorstep everywhere, every day for a lot of people that are suffering other forms of trauma as well and what is our response and that's the purpose of the book because we did not want to appear to be heroes because we're not. It's more about the survivors and how to raise faith and hope after trauma of that magnitude. Mm. Here we are 10 years on from the yeah. events of Black Saturday. How how are the communities going in the area? Well, uh, I'm generalising because it's such a wide, <laughs> wide answer to that question. Yeah. Um, a high percentage of the people never went back to that area. Mm. They may have had insurance, they may not. Um, they may have got payouts through, um, you know, groups getting getting together and trying to sue companies that... You know, we're looking into what caused the fires, but ultimately people have moved on geographically, maybe not mentally or emotionally. And so you'll find a high percentage of people actually moved out of the area. Too, too many bad memories and, and they'd lost family and friends and neighbours. And so they've relocated and, and the ones that stayed are probably ones that didn't want to move uh just, yeah, they've remained in that position and they remain with those memories and it's very, very tough for them. So a lot of people suffered post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, a lot of people had vivid memories of what they saw, what they heard, what they experienced that will never leave them. The 10th anniversary is significant for the, the public and the community at large 
But I heard a lady say to me that lost two of her daughters in the fire, every day is a sad day, mm. not just the first anniversary, not just the 10th anniversary, every day is a sad day for her. Yeah, I, I, I think, um, you know, of there's, there's a saying that goes that the hole in your heart of a lost loved one never gets smaller, mm. but your life grows around it and becomes bigger. And so that, that pain never lessens, but the impact that you can have as your life continues to grow magnifies. Have, yeah. you, have you seen that from people in the area? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, that, that's a brilliant saying you just quoted. Um, so many survivors we connected with and formed very strong relationships with, very good friendships, even today. And one lady that lost her husband, she was actually on the phone to her husband as the fires hit, and then she, she lost him. And she was actually doing her doctorate, and she was actually at university for an exam. That's the thing that saved her life. Mm. And, and she was so traumatised, so incredibly traumatised. And uh, she said to me sometime later, as we, we were connecting over community meals that we were running and other events we were running, and she said what a psychiatrist said to her was when you board a plane, the first thing they do on any flight is they run through the safety procedures and they say in the event of an emergency, the oxygen mask will drop down and you must put it over yourself first before you put it over your children. Mm. And, and the, context, the context was this, that here's this woman completely traumatised and, and potentially suicidal after what she experienced and, and she had to get to a place where you must look after yourself first you know, be it through counselling or whatever, whatever, and then get to a place then, then you're in a better position then to help others. And that was her lifeline. That was the one thing that kept her going and uh, to this day. And she's an incredibly talented woman. And they, you know, that whole family has been impacted that we can't comprehend the magnitude. But she just gets through her life one day at a time as a result of that lifeline being offered to her. Um, for the sake of her family and her friends. John, uh, to you and Jan, thank you for the incredible work you've done over the years uh, helping these communities. And we know this is definitely going to be a hard day for you uh, and mm. others as this 10th anniversary of the Black Saturday bushfires uh, is commemorated and remembered. Uh, but, look, uh, thank you for joining us on Hope Breakfast and sharing your uh, incredible experience and uh, and the work that you've been doing. Absolute pleasure. And thank you guys for the opportunity just to share a glimpse of this 10th anniversary and, and what some people are enduring. But our prayer is that it will continue to raise faith and hope. No one has answers for when there's death and destruction, but our faith and hope is in God that oversees all of life and, and the future. And that's what we focus on is how can we regroup? How can we offer hope? How can we help those to help themselves? And to, together, uh, we, we can join arms and, and link up and, and just move forward together one day at a time. John, I couldn't say it better myself, mate. Thanks, thanks for those words. Uh, good on you guys. Thank you. And that is the first edition of Amazing People That Aren't Us. If you know someone who you think we should talk to, who is an incredible human being in society today, let us know about them. Uh, email us at breakfast at hope1032.com.au. We would absolutely love to talk to them and share their story with the world. Thanks for listening. Start your day with life words. Subscribe to Hope 1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au.